Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. <clears throat> so, the playoffs start today. A weird schedule. An unusual schedule. I guess this is part of uh, you know, not having the first round spread out forever. Partly it's the product not starting on the weekend either. Uh, a Monday, 11.30 a.m. game. You know, it's weird. There's, <clears throat> there's so many reasons to watch or not watch the NBA. One, they're just the best basketball players in the world, and they play the game unlike anybody else. I mean, you can watch high school and college ball, and they just the size and the skill level of these guys is unbelievable. Uh, then there's another reason uh, to not watch, right? There's uh, some of the social issues, the Black Lives Matter. That's irritated some people. Um, I don't think you can overlook, for the hardcore like myself. Uh, the four-month layoff was not ideal, uh, but for other people, other people's like four months, man, everybody's lost the plot, right? It's like this, I don't know what this is. The fact that it is played in a sterile environment with no fans, I think that works for some people, but turns some off. And David Locke is sure that we're going to have the best basketball we've ever had. Young players won't be intimidated. Refs won't get swayed by the crowd. And there's something to be said for those points. Man, this is 11.30 a.m. start time, followed up by a 2 o'clock game. Well, both game 2 and 3 are going to be 2 o'clock tip times. It's not the easiest time for people to follow to get back into it. You know, they only want the one game in prime time, and it's always going to be an L.A. team. It's going to be the Lakers and Clippers on alternate nights through the first round, and assuming they both win through the second round. It's the way it is. Everybody else move over. I mean, Celtic Sixers, that'll be prime time in the East, I guess. I think, I think those games start at like 4.30 here. Uh, it's just going to be hard to follow the NBA playoffs here. Unless you're working from home and you can totally control your own schedule and do what you want. <laughs> Which is a higher percentage of the population this year than it has been in any other year I've been alive. All right, so uh, the big news over the weekend, you've heard it by now, obviously. Mike Conley is gone. Um, the Jazz knew this was coming. Um Piki was talking about this on the air. They've had they've had forever to prepare for this. Uh, she was due in late August, and so it was always going to be a question of, well, is he going to miss game one or game two or game three? At what point is he going to go? And they got the rules on quarantining before you come back in. So, you know, you could assume he's going to miss at least two or three games. We'll have to see how quickly he comes back. Um, and so now <clears throat> the Jazz uh, play with no pressure. Now they have a lot less talent. Uh, we've got to see if Barton and Harris are going to play for Denver. They may be down a couple rotation guys as well, a couple of guys that they count on to defend. Not their top scorers. they got all the guys offensively. Uh, but defensively, there could be some issues could help the Jazz get some easier shots. Um, it, this, <laughs> this could be a high-scoring up-and-down series, right? <clears throat> maybe maybe the pressure of the playoffs and all that will, will slow some guys down. But... If the Warriors can't defend and the Jazz are missing, or the Warriors, if the uh, Nuggets can't defend and the Jazz are missing scores, you know, how, how does that work out exactly? I guess we'll wait and see that play out today, but that seems to be a question line um, with the Jazz down two of, their, two of their five starters. So, if Joe Ingles doesn't shoot now, he has the greenest green light he's ever had in his life. <laughs> so... If he ends up taking three or four shots in a game and the Jazz are going to lose, then we're all going to ask Joe, why don't you shoot more for the, I don't know, 81st time? All right, we've got to take a break right now. Uh, when we come back, BYU football, Kalani Sataki meeting with the media. They had a scrimmage this weekend. And, uh, you know, they're the only team west of the Rockies playing. Everybody else, the Mountain West and Pac-12 have shut down. Um, you know, maybe, I guess the next team would be Air Force if they play the their games with Army and Navy which seems to be a definite maybe right now. 
that would be the other Western-type team playing. Other than that, you got to go to uh, Texas and Oklahoma to find teams playing. I guess UTEP, right? All right, DJ and PK, we'll take a break. We'll come back with Kalani Sitaki. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's time to go down to uh, BYU practice. Uh, Aaron Roderick, coordinating the offense, uh, asked over the weekend, you know, who really looks good, who really stands out. He praised all the quarterbacks, but he really likes Zach Wilson. Making better decisions, really gained weight in the offseason. He's had some offseason surgeries in the past, so he hasn't really been able to, you know, remake his body and all that kind of stuff. And so, very complimentary. I've always assumed Wilson was going to win the job. Uh, here's Kalani Sataki, the head coach, meeting with the media. Yeah, uh, good practice today. We scrimmaged. Um, we did a lot of different situations. I think we got close to, I think, 75 to 80 uh, live reps. Um, with our offense and defense and then had some uh, special team stuff, a punt and PAT field goal, things like that. And uh, pleased with uh, what I saw from the, from the team. I thought um, it was good to see the guys tackle a little bit and good to see all our, you know, the offense march down the field and, and, and uh, for our defense to get some stops, it was, it was good. So as a head coach, um, you can't be, you know, extremely happy because, uh, you know, there's some concerns or some spots that I think we need to get better for the most part. I am excited that the team and the, the energy is out there and it was a good way to, to end the day, you know, end the week, have a, a good physical practice and, and scrimmage. And uh, I really like the way our team is progressing right now. So feel good about uh, where we're at right now and, and uh, looking forward to getting to next week, getting some live work in, in the stadium and, and building more game type uh, situation, game like uh, environment. Uh, Monday, you said that uh, the offense won the day, I think is what you said after uh, this first scrimmage. Yeah. How do you assess today? Did the defense bounce back? Did they show signs of uh, getting on an even field? Did, but I think I think the, um, the offense still did some good things. I think if you're looking at it, you get the edge to the offense. We held some guys out on defense that uh, – you know, as we start working towards, it's going to have to start shifting towards uh, the Navy look, you know, but um, there's some guys that we wanted to take a look at that, that maybe aren't as proven as some of the guys that we, we held out. But I, I, that's no reason. I think that's not anything to take away from our offense. I think our offense did, did a great job. And, um, you know, if I'm looking at it uh, now, not even be able to watch the film, I'd say the quarterbacks did a great job. And, and um, you know, looking on the offensive side, running backs handled the ball really well. I thought Tyler Algier, uh, Lopini Katoa, and, and um, Hinkley Ropati did a great job running the ball. Saw some good runs from Jackson McChesney as well. And uh, we were able to get some good looks at Luke Andrada and Javel. So the run game was really nice. Pass game was on point. Um, you know, so I thought Zach and, and Jaron and, and Baylor threw the ball really well. Had Soldier throw the ball as well. So uh, we had some good some good moves. I, I would say the one offense did a really good job. You know, and and uh, and and with the one O line, whoever was with that one O line, they did some good. I think they might have scored on every drive, which is good. Is that a concern at all? That you always have that quandary where when one unit does well, the other you know does not do as well. 
are you concerned about the defense at this point? No, because I mean, when you know, we held a good number of guys without Kyrus up front. It's it's really difficult, you know. And but we were able to get some good looks. I I don't want to say that the offense, you know, completely killed it, but I think we saw some good things from the D line. We got some good looks for Gabe Summers up front. Um, Seleti Fevaliaki did a good job up front. Tyler Batty did had a had a really good physical day. Fisher Jackson did well as well. Uh, looking at the D line, um, it, it's uh, that we were able to get those guys some really good looks. And then um, I thought Max Tooley did some really good things too. He forced two fumbles today with his hits, and and he's flying around. You know, we were trying him at different spots, and and um, the linebackers I thought performed well. And you know, it just it's just one of those things where you're looking at the matchups and you're looking at plays, and and uh, there's always concerns for the head coach when you're thinking of depth at different places. But the bodies are there, and and when we're testing guys, I think you're going to get some uh, some you know, especially when you're going against a physical offensive line. I think that's a good test for these young D linemen to step up, you know. So, um, but from what I saw from Gabe and, and and those, you know, the other guys that we play in D line that I mentioned, these guys are slippery and strong, and sometimes uh, that's not the best time to be slippery when you're trying to be stout, you know. And so, it's uh, the best way to teach them is to experience and having a big physical line just get after them and eventually they're going to have to hold their ground. You know, I thought uh, they bowed up a, a little bit in, in, in the scrimmages today and uh, in, in the reps. And so I'm pleased with with uh, the talent there and the body. So just uh, need to keep working. You know, we have some more work to go with those guys. Hey, Jared. Hey, Kalani. So uh, to start out, I've got to continue our uh, theme from these Zoom calls and get your analysis of uh, Jay's pajamas there that you get to see this time. (laughs) Uh, Just kidding. I just, uh, you know, the the guys talked the other day about how one of the ways that that the team feels like they've addressed some of the psychological ups and downs of this season is focusing on having fun and how the coaches have really focused on making this a fun um, fall camp and and just really enjoying day-to-day. What's that like for you? Because I know you're that that's the type of personality you generally have is the love of football. But what's it like seeing that and seeing that permeate the team this year like it has? I think the key is to keep keep progressing as a, as a group, you know, and, and looking at the individuals. It's hard to have fun when you're getting knocked in the mouth, you know, and you're taking the 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 basically the most of the force in a negative way, right? But uh, but I think it's good for the guys to know that they're getting better and to use the technique and the fundamentals. I think <clears throat> this is a group that I think with what's happening already they're already just have so much gratitude to be out here and to practice. And I think um, they're not, they're not letting any moment pass by, you know, so I th- they don't take anything for granted. And, and I think it's for the circumstances that's happening in the world today and in our country and especially in college football. So I think that they have the different attitude towards it. I don't know if it could be anything attributed to me as a head coach, but I, I have a coaching staff and, and an environment right now that, with this culture of the team where the players have a lot of freedom to express their, their feelings and express their frustrations and whatever it is going on in their mind, we communicate really well. And when you're doing that, I think it's, it's easy for people to know where they stand. It may not be the, the best news that they want to hear, but at least it's the truth and they know how to fix it, you know? So, um, I mean, they can respect that when you're doing all that and you have a lot of confidence in the system, uh, it's, it's, it's a good and enjoyable moment, you know, and even when it's physical and you're getting hit and I mean, we have guys limping around after, after some striking today, you know, we had some tackles that were really violent and guys got up and limped off and I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm loving it. They just, they, these guys are having fun with it, you know? So, uh, 
they have an opportunity to feel sore right now and 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 recover you know and and uh but this is a lot of good live reps and fast pace and and looking at the the energy that our guys had this is this is the leadership of the team taking over and the reason why it's a lot of fun is because they're good human beings that are appreciate where they're at and and have a lot of gratitude in in the way that they approach things Kalani, Kalani, you mentioned in your your opener, there's a few groups that aren't to the level that you want them to be at. Which groups are those and what do they need to do to get to the level you want them to be at? Well, I mean, if, if no head coach is going to be really excited about right now in practice 10, that's where we're set, where we're in a really good spot, right? And so it's all in moments. Uh, today we wanted to test some young guys on defense and put them in, in, a, in, a, in a difficult spot. You know, when they're going against the twos or threes uh, on, on O-line, it's a different deal when you're going against James Empey and, and, you know, you're going against Brady Christensen and those guys that are just loading up on you. And then it's a, a good way to kind of introduce them to what college football is all about. Out, you know, and especially when it's going live and not a quick whistle, it's, it's, it's you know, bodies to the ground, things like that. And I think the only way to get better football is to play football. And 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 we told these guys going into it from yesterday to, you know, prepping them that we're going to need some great, great technique and some toughness. And uh, so the concerns aren't really to me, it's not a matter of, of, uh, of talent or skill. It's just a matter of experience. They just got to get, got to get beat up a little bit more, you know, and, and know how to, how to take it and then also how to defend it. And so that's, that's the key. Uh, we have a lot of guys that I think can fit. The, we have a good depth on the team right now. And then, you know, we, we want to keep pro progressing as with our depth. Our depth is only going to be as good as we can make it. Right. And so, allowing them to go against the best is going to be important for them. And that's, that's kind of what, what I, I don't want anyone to think that like, I'm really concerned about. I'm just, it's just what it is. Like welcome freshman to football. This is, you know, an all American candidate at tackle that's going to block you. And then here's an all American candidate tight end that you have to cover as a linebacker and as a safety. And it's a, it's a good way to introduce them to football. And, and with that style that we have, that's that, that, that I think our offense does, it's, it's, Nothing is more important than experience, and experience in life moments is going to be the key. Okay, Norma. Hey, Coach. So you mentioned that next week you're going to move over to the stadium to do some life practices there and start turning some of the focus to Navy. When does that focus go full force to Navy and just actually getting the, the season underway? Well, we've been prepping it a little bit and, and working on it part-time, right? And, and I still think it's a little early. We're still trying to compete right now in certain spots of, for playing time. And so it's uh, hard to do that when, when you don't have scout teams. So right now we're kind of going through the, um, the assignments, the, the scheme, talking about what we're scouting from what we're seeing on film. And then, um, and then, you know, when we, once we start moving to scout teams and then we'll, we'll get really focused on that. I would say maybe midpoint, um, Next week, you'll probably see us kind of, kind of uh, migrate towards that a little bit more heavily, and and then, you know, we still need to play some some defense. That's a that's to give our offense a look. I think the speed is important for them to see the speed on the field and not get used to always going against scout teams. And then when we go against our scout team, is teaching them how to run the Navy system. You know, how they block, how they cut, how they run the ball and. And uh, we're going to have a lot of t live tackling moments in practice against our scouts as well in that system against the, the option. So it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of uh, bumps and bruises, and let's just train them and get them ready. But I think uh, we'll try to transition to that 
towards the later part of last uh, next week. And then, but we've already introduced the, the scheme and introduced some of the stuff that we're going to plan on defending it. Offensively, they, they do, if you're looking at what their defense does, they're, they're very aggressive. And so I think a lot, there's a lot of carryover from our defense and what they're seeing in the, the live moments to what, what they might see from Navy. Jared and then Jake. It was announced yesterday, Kalani, that uh, you get a home game in late September. Just talk about being able to have that opportunity signed and, and uh, you know, as long as it's able to go, but at least having that chance now. Yeah, just really excited. Uh, you know, thankful to, to Tom and the administration for getting it done and for Troy, you know, and we're excited. Ryan Pugh's there as the offensive coordinator, you know, so uh, a guy that we know really well and, and uh, that we love, you know, so I, I know that he and uh, he and Chip are going to have that team ready, you know, and, and looking at the, the really good coaching staff. Um, they have a lot of talent on their team as well, and they've done some really good things as a group in their first year last year. And, um, and, and as you know, as the OC for Pugh, I was really proud of him. So, you know, he left us as O-line coach and went to go be an offensive coordinator and really, really impressed with what he's doing right now. And, and uh, be cool to have him back in Provo and, and uh, you know, def- to try and defend his offense. So it's going to be a lot of fun as a, as a team. And just to have that on the schedule is a little bit relieving. And I know that we'll probably see some more teams come up in the next little bit as Tom starts working through it. Kwani, um, obviously, you, I'm sure you realize – BYU is the only team uh, west of Texas that's still playing football right now. Has BYU administration given you any parameters, any guidelines as far as uh, numbers that you have to stay under as far as positive tests to continue playing? Have they given you any sort of kind of parameters in, in that respect? Um, we've been communicating really well as, as a, from the administration to, you know, to the, the sports medicine department, trainers to our players, uh, the, the, the communication has been awesome. And so every day we're, we're talking about things and we're testing and we're looking at screening and, and doing our part to keep it a low risk environment here at BYU. And, and, um, you know, I'm going to keep working with them. This is, this is not, that's, that's not my expertise. You know, I, I know more about football than I do about uh, the virus and things like that. But what I do know is what they've taught me and, and how to control the environment and how to keep it low risk. And so uh, we've done that, done that as a coaching staff as much as we possibly can with our equipment and helping the players uh, have access to all the different things that we think could help them keep it safe while they're playing football, whether it's the, the guards on their face mask or the, the having the gators or different masks on. Uh, we've, we've kept our masks on during meetings. <clears throat> and then even at practice, we try to keep our social distancing going on, even during water breaks. Uh, it's a little different because we actually have to go to old school water breaks where we blow it up and they all walk to the water and, and, and everyone has their own water bottle and they stay away from each other and they drink. And um, it's been, it's been uh, different, but, just thankful that we have a, uh, a wonderful staff and they can help it work, you know, with our sports medicine department and keep educating us. This thing changes daily and, and a lot of things happen. So as long as they keep working with us and helping um, improve and, and uh, adapt to whatever happens, I think we're okay. You know, I, I'm going off of what they tell me to do. I said last time on Monday, I'm just going to keep going until they tell me stop. And I, I listen to their guidance and listen to their advice. And, you know, I, I'm going to do my part and let them be the experts of their field. Hey, Coach, we have two more questions, one from Jason and then Norma. 
Kalani, um, you mentioned that like from a psychological standpoint, just being out on the field, that that's been helpful with everything else that's going on where things are shutting down for a lot of other, other programs and conferences. Is it also a psychological lift for you and the guys to see a game being scheduled? And you mentioned there may be some others, you know, down the line, how much of a psychological lift is that as well? that the administration is continuing to try and schedule games and moving it forward like that? You know, I think what's being missing a lot, and I, I'm glad you brought that up, is it's not just the uh, the psychological lift from getting scheduled and, and, and trying to get things a little bit back to as normal as possible, but it's actually just the interaction and conversations, you know, with, with us trying to keep social distancing and try to practice it and keep in low-risk environment. I think what, what we miss out on and what I've seen a lot of our guys are doing is just talking with masks on and keeping six feet away and just having a, like a normal conversation with people. I think the the interaction is what what a lot of um, what we're missing, you know, as as humans and and uh, that connection. And so I think what's been really cool about us being here and being able to practice that they have that uh, available to them. And I've just seen that that it's given the players a lot of relief just to have that connection to people, you know. And and it's just little things like just having a, a simple conversation about anything of whether it's about the NBA or, or major league baseball or whatever, whatever it could be just having these guys or talking about families. That's what they miss. It's just not the same as it would be, um, you know, texting and things like that. Just the eye to eye contact and the interaction, seeing someone's emotions, even though it's hidden through a mask, it's just that seeing someone eye to eye is, is a, it's something that, uh, you know, I think we've all missed in a society, in our society. Hey, Norma. Um, hey coach, has Tom had any conversation with you as to this is the cutoff date. This is the last day I will be fighting to put, an even bigger schedule together and then by then just move forward with what we've got. No, no, I, I know that Tom's, I, I know one thing Tom's just been working. So I, w I don't, he doesn't put any limits on anything. He just keeps working. I, I, he's the busiest man I've seen around for a long time. You know, just the weeks have been filled with him. Even when we have our meetings and stuff, his phone's always blowing up. So I appreciate all the hard work that he's putting through and his staff, those guys have been working really hard. So I'm really thankful that they've been trying to do this and make it work. And then from thinking about it from an AD's perspective, he's going from running the teams and then trying trying to keep the players safe and then also looking at listening to the, you know, the doctors and people in the medical field and their opinions and then assessing all that and talking to the coaches. He's done a great job of communicating with all of us. And so it's been really, really cool to see his leadership take place. And I'm honored to be, you know, have him as an athletic director. There's Kalani Sataki. When we come back, David Locke, stay with us. We'll get you ready for the Jazz playoff game today. Next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jazz have a playoff game with the Nuggets today at 11.30. David Locke joined us late in the show Friday. Now, obviously, at that point, Mike Conley wasn't out. So, obviously, that's going to change some of the answers. But generally, most of the key points in this series, including 
How are the Nuggets going to defend Donovan Mitchell? How are the Jazz going to try to uh, uh, to slow down the Joker? Nikola Jokic is just unbelievable. And uh, what can Rudy do against him when Rudy has to leave him sometimes to help? And, you know, that puts him in a scramble situation. A lot of questions for David Locke. Here he is. David's appearance each week is brought to you by Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, EJ. How are you, PK? Great. Good. Glad to hear it. We are curious. There's much made of, you know, the Jazz and who do they want to play in the playoffs and all that. Uh, And Jazz fans all have their opinions. Who do you think the Nuggets wanted to play in the playoffs? Oh, I think if we're... If we're honest about it, the Jazz were the team that everyone wanted to play, right? Without Boyan Bogdanovich, like, if you're the Lakers and you had the first choice, you were taking the Jazz, right? Like, if the, if the Lakers that. had to draft. The Lakers, they, didn't want, they don't want Portland with their two bigs, and so then it's then you might not want Dallas because of Luka. So, um, you know, you're taking either Dallas or Utah at that point. I think that's, you know, and that's, I'm not trying to be controversial or hot takey. Like, we're missing a 21-point-a-game score. We're very... We're a very different team than we were during the regular season. I, mean, I think that's what's so impressive about what Quinn and his staff did in this time period is they actually just kind of remade the entire – they used – it was really interesting. Mike Wells has been joining us in the second and fourth quarters of our broadcast. And Mike Wells said that they used – I mean, that they had just kind of endless Zoom meetings and they used the 60 games to figure out what they thought the flaws in their team were and, and understand they didn't have Boyan and to rebuild the team, not to try to recreate what they had before, but to completely change the way the team was playing. So to take more threes, play faster, more catch-and-shoot threes, try to force more turnovers, um, be a little bit more aggressive than they had been since they're going to be smaller but quicker, um, and that they used that time to completely remake the team. And then, you know, and then the second goal was to see, you know, the Jazz have done a really great job in their developmental league. Bart Taylor was the... GM of the year for the G League, and Martin Schiller was the coach of the year in the G League, and that you know that organization's built that really well. And then take the time in the bubble to give those four primary guys, you know, sixty to ninety minutes of playing time against NBA opponents and see what you got. And I think they found out that they they probably have two, possibly two regular rotation players, and a third that certainly can be viable. And the fourth, if all four of them can be viable. You would take the Jazz over in the short term, the Rockets without Westbrook? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, Harden's just a virtuoso. So you talk about the Jazz being remade, uh, but the Nuggets are really a different team than they were in those first 60-whatever games, aren't they? Well, with Michael Porter Jr. now as their starting small forward, that's a, that's a different player. I think that's going to be maybe one of the under kind of storylines of this is is Michael Porter Jr. as inexperienced he is but unbelievably talented ready to impact the playoff series either way so are the Jazz going to go after him in every single pick and roll and if he's guarding Joe Ingles that we're just going to see Joe Ingles Rudy Gobert pick and rolls with Michael Porter Jr. trying to get through since Torrey Craig will be draped all over Donovan um and then on the other end, you know, is Michael Porter Jr. there release valve score Jamal Murray and Jokic do a great job but you know what Millsap's aged significantly, and Jeremy Grant's a really nice player, but he's not that. Will Barton, Gary Harris are beat up, so then does Michael Porter Jr., average, I think, 22 points a game in the bubble, become their 
third scorer. He's just and he and he's a knockdown shooter. He's a forty four percent catch and shoot guy. Um, six people don't know him. He's six ten. He was the number one high school player in the country. He actually played around going to a bunch of different schools. He went to Nathan Hale in Seattle when his dad got a coaching job at the University of Washington, and then um, uh, Lorenzo Romar got fired, so he didn't hold that recruit so then he went to Missouri played nine games ended up with a back injury and then when he came out of the draft uh he slipped because he was gonna have back surgery again it's kind of stunning how much he slipped just with his skill set and he's just I mean he's been he hasn't gotten the paw but he's been every bit as as impressive as Zion um this year kind of as as a rookie big name putting it together I think his true shooting percentage is actually better than Zion so I mean he's really he's really incredible is Jokic the best all-around center in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, I think um, there's a comp out there on Jokic. There's Larry Bird. And I actually think it's pretty good. So, kind of to wrap your head around where I'm going with that. Jokic gets 98 touches of the basketball game. That's the He and Luka are the highest two players in the NBA. So now stop thinking of him as like a 7-1 center. Start thinking of him as like a 7-1 point, point guard. And then he, there's a stat that's kept by B-Ball Index, which is uh, called team share percentage. So the amount of time you have the ball for your team. And Jokic has the ball 23% of the time, which is the most by any player on any team. So Jokic has the ball for Denver more than Chris Paul does for Oklahoma City, Trey Young for Atlanta, Harden for Houston. Like, think about some of those ball-dominant players we have in this league. Jokic actually has it more. Um, so this is a 7-1 point guard playing at the top of the key with the most handoffs of any team in the league. And it's it's incredible. Um, and then, you know, add in the 7-1 so that, as we saw in the last matchup, he no longer plays Rudy straight up. He's always struggled against Rudy and Faves. He's played he's played poorly against us. But this year he's changed. He's got room. He's got space. He's going out and isolating on that wing, and then just bumping and backing and backing Rudy in, and inevitably Rudy reaches at some point and picks up a foul. Um, he, you know, he's been good when against Rudy. He's had massive games against us. The numbers when you actually isolate just Rudy guarding him, he's okay. He's not. He's good. He's not like great. He's shooting fifty three percent. Their offensive rate, offense is about a one oh four. Um so that's down considerably. Um I'm babbling, but I've done a lot of work, so I apologize. Um one thing I think's really interesting in this series is that both these teams kind of exploded on January one. Uh, Denver started the year really poorly, Jokic was out of shape. Uh they had a bunch of really bad offensive games they got going. We made all the trades, got going. Since then, uh many of our worst offensive games have come against each other. So as much as everyone's going to talk about this as an offensive series, for whatever reason, both these teams, neither of these teams are great defensively, but both these teams have been able to have relative defensive success against each other. So as you've watched these games, obviously he dropped a lot of weight uh, during the whole time the NBA was shut down. And, you know, that's... First off, I think people always thought he was a little heavy and out of shape. And if you had an advantage against him, it was put in somebody who can run and, and run him up and down the court and try to beat him down and, and, and wear him down, right? You might get some easy buckets along the way, and then hopefully he's a little gassed in the fourth quarter and doesn't play as well and misses shots. 
he dropped the weight. That's great. But he dropped so much weight, people wondered, well, he's really good at what Ron Boone always calls, you know, using your body and using your body to create space. He's the master of a little bump with the shoulder and then a quick shot before you regain your balance so you can't get up. Has has that weight loss hurt him at all? Because obviously it was going to help him a little bit. His conditioning wasn't great. But be, that size that he was using so well, does he miss it? I didn't see that. Um, in fact, I saw him kind of dominate the fourth quarter in overtime, right? Yeah, better shape. Um, I, I, right. You know, I talked to Adam Morris uh, of the Locked On Nuggets yesterday for a show, and um, his viewpoint is that Jokic is always game-managed. You know, he just is not a 48-minute-a-night player that he'll manage the game and then dominate when he needs to. I think we've seen that all three times we played them this year. Um, so even the last one, I thought his footwork looked better. Like, there's the play where, I mean, he was in the key for 17 seconds, but that footwork was pretty incredible. Um, and got Rudy six foul. Um, and, yes, it should have been three in the key. It doesn't take away the foot. The footwork was amazing. I think the footwork's better without the weight right now. So, um I thought he looked every bit as good as he was before. If not so you say, you say this opportunity here that these young guys have gotten to play has given them an opportunity to get into the rotation. So who are they and what the what is the rotation going to be and who's going to get fewer minutes based on somebody else who's played well? Well, there's 31 minutes to be had because Bogdanovich is out and, you know, frankly – Joe was already playing 30, and Royce was already playing 32, and Donovan was only playing 34, and Mike was playing 29. Like, there there, there aren't a lot. Of, those guys can only eat up so many of those 31s. So you're still, I think, trying to figure out who's taking the 31. Um, you know, I think the five guys I just mentioned will all add about, or four guys I mentioned plus Clarkson, will all eat about two or three more. So that's probably 15 of the 31. So you're really looking for 15 minutes out of someone. And I actually think it's going to be Mia One. Uh, I think Oni is, um, it's Oni, excuse me. Um, I, I think Oni is, is shown that he's, he can play as the fifth best player on the floor. He can knock down enough shots. He's got a defensive presence. Um, so I think he'll get it. Rajon Tucker would, could be a possibility of some of those 50 minutes. He, he has a defensive force to him. This, I think he took 17 free throws in the bubble, maybe 19. It's really an impressive number. Um, and so depending on where the game is and if they, who they have on the floor defensively, if you think he can take advantage, you might play him. Um, I don't know how this series plays out that Jarrell Brantley plays, but I think Jarrell Brantley is intriguing enough that you, you could probably see him playing um, down the road a little bit. I'm curious to see what Denver does at backup center in this series. Um, they have Mason Plumley, who's really good. He's one of the few backup centers in the NBA that's big. Most backup centers in the NBA now are skilled players that, that aren't, you know, that kind of seven-footer. But Plumlee's one of the best passers in the league um, for a big. That's why he compliments Jokic so well. However, in the previous games, they went to Jeremy Grant at center for brief stints, and every time they did it, they had great success. And if they go to Jeremy Grant at center, I don't know what we do to counter that. Um, we just don't have that roster spot right now unless it's Darrell Brantley. I, mean, I think that's this is that'd be a big jump for him. Um, so that, I think that's an intriguing little aspect to this series. Like if they can get Jer- if they can get Jeremy Grant trying to be guarded by Tony Bradley, that's a problem for us. Um, so I don't, and we need to have uh, Gobert and Jokic for most minutes. I mean, one of the other keys to the series is somebody else has got to guard Jokic for a few minutes, not just Rudy the whole time. And in the 13 minutes in which Jokic was not guarded by Gobert in the regular season, he went four for four with eight assists. They were plus 15. So they ate the Jazz up. 
<laughs> the yeah, same. Pretty, 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 like enough to lose you an entire series. So can Royce O'Neal spend five minutes on Jokic and have Rudy drop off him and play kind of a mid zone guarding so Tory Craig or someone who's a non shooter? Can can you know Terrell Brantley come in with his huge body and somehow as a rookie handle five minutes on Jokic? I mean, I think that'd be a really tough matchup. So um, I don't. I'm not suggesting that's a great idea. Um, I, I don't. I don't know what we're doing. And, you know, um, for any minutes that Rudy's not available to guard Jokic, I think that's a huge part of the storyline here. You have been uh, preaching threes for a long time, and certainly we've seen the league go there. And then we've seen guys like uh, Steph Curry and and JJ Redick, you know, and and they'll take shots two, three steps off that three-point line. Now Logo Lillard is out here firing away 35- and 40-footers. I mean, are this kind of like highlights and we can talk about him and be amazed by him? Or is this like somewhere the game is going to trend in five years and it's basically going to be unrecognizable to the game we grew up with? Uh, depending on how old you are, I guess it already is unrecognizable. But, you know, it won't, it won't even look like the NBA looked like 10 or 15 years ago. Well, I think it's real. Um, I actually gave a presentation, an analytics presentation this summer um, to a group, and my main presentation, my main kind of lasting thing was that the 34-foot-3 is the next thing. Um, The math on it is actually good. Um, Remember, the math on the mid-range shot is really bad. The math on the mid-range shot is about uh, 0.8 points per shot, so if you can start figuring that out, you only have to shoot 30% on these long shots to actually make them better. And then some things happen, have happened over the last two years that have made them more prevalent. So teams like Toronto and Boston and Milwaukee have completely committed to denying the rim defensively. That's the next trend. That's what everyone's going to do. Everyone's dropping the big. Everyone's keeping the big at the rim. Um, it's where Rudy has amazing value. But the floor has become too spread that you can't guard both. If you actually look down the statistics of all the teams in the league right now, other than the Jazz, most of the teams that deny shots at the rim, which you should, by the way, because that's a you know, 65 70% shot, um, are the highest volume of three-point shooters allowed. So the answer is that the offense just spread themselves out further. And so whether it's Lillard walking into a three, which was last night, or just guys starting Eric Gordon of Houston spacing himself five feet behind the three-point line, that's, that's going to be the next step. It just creates more space, um, and it's there. The secondary one that's happening in this league this year that's the big next big trend in Michael Porter Jr. could really be this, is the eight or nine threes a game by a six-foot-seven or taller player. So, in other words, players that are so tall that their shooting window is always available to them, and they can really shoot it. And so suddenly, Davis Bertans and Duncan Robinson are taking, you know, eight, nine threes a game, um, and you know, if they're hitting thirty-three to forty percent of them, they're great shots. So that's kind of Joe doesn't have that release, um, but there's a similarity, kind of the way Joe at six, seven, six, eight has done um, a bunch of things in this league just because of his size. So, yes, I think Logo Lillard, that was maybe an extreme shot, but maybe not, right? Like, um, if you dig into what the numbers are offensively for most teams when they get to the half court, they're not great. So if you've got a three-point shot, you're going to hit 35% of the time. It's actually a pretty good idea. We heard earlier that Mike Conley's wife was uh, pregnant and he may need to leave. Do we know the status of that as far as when she's due and all that? 
thought I heard it was the 27th, so I don't know. Oh, it was later in the month? Yeah. But playing every other day with that schedule, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't see if he goes to the birth of his kid, right? You know, fine. Um, I just want to make sure the tone of my sentence was correct there. Um, you know, I can't see it being any less than four games. I mean, this other, unless right. we, you know, maybe we, sh- we need to sweep the Nuggets, let him go home, have the baby, and then come back while Dallas pushes the Clippers to seven. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm for that. Yeah, we're gonna sign off on that. Sure. Okay. Make that happen. <laughs> I mean, that's real. Okay. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll text Quinn today and make They'll, sure he understands that that needs to be what happens. There'll be very little complaining. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious about what you think about these other playoff series. Uh, any of the lower seeds uh, more or less likely to pull upsets? Any crazy predictions, guarantees you want to throw out? Call your um, shot now. Got, sure. I've got two hot takes. Uh, maybe. Um, I think the Celtics are way better than anyone realizes. The amount of teams in the NBA over the last eight years have been top five in both offense and defense are really, really slim. Um, the only one that hasn't had massive playoff success was that Atlanta Hawks team under Mike Budnolzer. Um, but I, so I think that Boston is, is maybe better than people realize and I think is a very legitimate title contender. Now they got to get through Toronto and Milwaukee. Um, but I think they're really good. Um, the second one is I think I, I, I said this before they started playing badly, um, and maybe things are going to break all right for them, but when I prepped the Lakers for our second game, I, I, I went to Ron before the broadcast started, and I said, you know, I've done this for 12 years, and every time I've prepped the championship team, I've known it. That's, this is not a championship team. Um, and hear me out on this. They're 19th in the league in half-court offense. Um, that's even before they struggled in the bubble. Um, they only have one player on their entire roster who's above average on an isolation play. You know what? It's not a beautiful play, but the playoffs get down to that. Everyone knows everyone's plays, knows what you're doing. Um, they're 19th in the league in three-point shooting. We haven't had a champion that's been 19th in the league in three-point shooting. It's not top 10 three-point shooting team. It's pretty hard to win these days. Um, they're predicated, one of their things, and I picked up and was watching Anthony Davis against us, is that Anthony Davis plays the four they're in transition, I think, 19.6% of the time. When he plays the five, they're in transition about 16% of the time. Well, if they play the Rockets, they can't play JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard. So Anthony Davis has to be the five. And then went and watched some film on it. It's interesting. When Anthony Davis is playing the four, he's not always down for rebounding. So what happens is they get the rebound. He's already at 15, 18 feet. He's off. And then the long outlet comes, and he is unstoppable in that. He got to just six times on plays like that. And a lot of times teams are cross-matching so that, you know, we want Rudy Gobert guarding Anthony Davis, but Anthony Davis is guarding Royce O'Neal. And so the rebound comes, and Anthony Davis is gone, and his guy's four, four feet, ten feet behind him. Well, if, if the Rockets are playing P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington as their centers in that matchup, then there's, Anthony Davis has got to play the five. Um so I, you know, Russell Westbrook's probably got to get healthy, and maybe more importantly, Eric Gordon's got to get healthy. Um, but if the Rockets can go by the Thunder, I like the Rockets to beat the Lakers. We saw as the uh, bubble season progressed, then during the eight games, the shootings for the Jazz started off poorly and got better. You think that there is any particular reason beyond the obvious that it was just a matter of time? Uh, there could have been some. Con- so it's interesting, like George Niang's been nicked up a little bit. So like on him, you would say it's conditioning, but you're certainly not conditioning on Jordan Clarkson. 
that dude's in shape every second of the day. So um, I think it might have just been ad- adaptation of the environment, and then it also just could have been, you know, small sample size. Um, you know, I think George finished, what, um, 11 of 33 from three? So, you know, after starting at 5%, he's up to 33%, so he's trending back towards 40%. Um, Clarkson, I think, is a little higher. Clarkson's overall catch-and-shoot numbers are back up to 40% for the season, which is pretty incredible. And that's how the Jazz win, guys. Jazz have seven guys who shoot 40% or better on catch-and-shoot threes. So there's two storylines floating out there for title teams that would be we think largely unprecedented, and I'm wondering if you got any comparisons. One would be if Kawhi Leonard wins back-to-back titles with different teams, his third title with a third different team. I was came up with one close comparison that isn't perfect, but it's ballpark. And then the other storyline is if the Raptors lose the best player on the title team and then we're able to repeat. I mean, they're second in the East, and you just talked up the Celtics, so they could be out in the second round, right? Boston could take them out there. But if they did it, anything compared to either of those storylines if they happen? So the Raptors one is like we see in college basketball all the time, right? Keith Van Horn graduates and Andre Miller then leads the team to the Final Four. Um Revan Knight graduates, Arthur Lee leads Stanford. Like that actually was the same year, old reference. But we see that a lot in college. Um, we actually saw it in college football too, right? Peyton Manning left and T. Martin led them to the national championship. Um, but I don't know that we've ever seen it where they actually won the title and then go do it again with a different group. We do see kind of that superstar leaves and the team collects on the backside. Um, Will Chamberlain won how many titles? One or two? Two. One with different, one with the Sixers, one with the Warriors, uh, Lakers. No, the second one with Lakers, the Lakers, right? So, um, yeah, the Warriors only have, only have the one. Um, so that's one example. Walton won two titles, Boston, but and he was kind of a fringe player by Boston with the injuries. I, I had um, Sha- I had Shaq with Miami and the Lakers, and then he yeah. went with Orlando. They didn't win it, obviously; they got swept. But he went to right. a th- with a third team. That was the one I came up with. Yeah, that's a pr- that's a pretty good one. Um, you're right. Those are both really, I mean, I think Kawhi would be, Kawhi is, Kawhi in this bizarre is going to be this bizarre player who actually emulates the new era of basketball and the player movement while simultaneously being completely contradictory to the era of Instagram and publicity. So I think he, he's a really interesting kind of, societal piece and sociological experiment of the way you would look at him because on one end that this player movement and forcing his way out of San Antonio and disruption and then you know going to Toronto with them willingly saying fine we'll take one year we have no chance to win a championship with DeRozan and Lowry so we'll take the championship with you and go ahead and leave and then you know then he goes to a no-name franchise in the Clippers Um, it's pretty fascinating um, while simultaneously, you know, being the fun guy. He's David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. His appearance every week brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, thanks for stopping by, and we will talk to you again next week. My pleasure. Uh, one thing to keep an eye on, Donovan Mitchell shooting about 23% when guarded by Torrey Craig. See what the Jazz can do to move Donovan Mitchell off Torrey Craig. There's David Locke, radio voice of the Jazz. You'll hear him today at 1130 on the call. We're going to take a break. When we come back, what is trending? Stay with us.